This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallweg, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020. The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance for children under the age of 13. Violence, language, and adult situations may apply. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. It is very seldom that mere ordinary people like John and myself secure ancestral halls for the summer. A colonial mansion, a hereditary estate. I would say a haunted house, but that would be asking too much. Still, I will proudly declare that there is something queer about it. Else why should it be let so cheaply, and why has it stood so long untenanted? John laughs at me, of course, but one expects that in a marriage. Well... Here we are. Marvelous house, don't you think? It will do you good to be away from things for a while, my dear. John is practical in the extreme. He has no patience with faith, an intense horror of superstition, and he scoffs openly at any talk of things not to be felt and seen and put down in figures. Darling, darling, what are you doing? There's no need for you to carry anything. Jenny, take that bag from her, please. Yes, sir. If you don't mind, miss. John is a physician, and perhaps though I would not say it to a living soul. Perhaps that is one reason I do not get well faster. You mustn't exert yourself in any way, my dear. What you need are some phosphates, a few tonics, fresh air, and rest. Three months of those things, and I promise you will feel good as new. You see, he does not believe I am sick. And what can one do? If a physician of high standing and one's own husband assures friends and relatives that there is really nothing the matter with one but temporary nervous depression a slight hysterical tendency, what is one to do? Naturally, you are absolutely forbidden to do any sort of work until you are well again. I must remain firm on this point. Personally, I disagree with his ideas. I believe that congenial work with excitement and change would do me good. But what is one to do? At any rate, John says that the very worst thing I can do is to think about my condition, and I confess it always makes me feel bad. So I will let it alone and talk about the house. Come inside then, both of you. What a marvelous place this is. It is a most beautiful place. It stands quite alone, well back from the road, nearly three miles from the village. It makes me think of English places that you read about. For there are gardens and hedges and walls and gates that lock, and lots of separate little houses for gardeners and servants. The place has been empty for years. That spoils my ghostliness, I'm afraid, but I don't care. There is something strange about the house. I can feel it. 
I even said so to John, but he said... No, no, darling. What you're feeling is a draft. Jenny, shut that window, will you please? Of course, sir. I get unreasonably angry with John sometimes. I'm sure I never used to be so sensitive. I think it's due to this nervous condition. But... John says I must not neglect proper mental discipline, so I take pains to control myself, around him at least, and that makes me very tired. I don't like our room one bit. I wanted the one downstairs, which opens onto the piazza and has roses all over the window and such pretty old-fashioned chintz hangings. But John would not hear of it. But, my darling, there is only one window. And what's worse, there is no room for two beds and no near room for me if I should need to take another. We must think of your health, you know. That is the most important thing. John is very careful and loving and hardly lets me stir without special direction. I have a schedule for each hour in the day. He takes all care from me, and so I feel basely ungrateful not to value it more. In order to feel better, you will need plenty of windows, my dear. Your exercise depends on your strength and your food somewhat on your appetite, but air you can absorb all the time. So we took the nursery at the top of the house. It is a big, airy room, the whole floor nearly, with windows that look all ways and air and sunshine galore. I know it was a nursery because the windows are barred for little children— The paint and paper look as if a boy's school had used it. It is stripped off in great patches all around the head of my bed, about as far as I can reach, and in a great place on the other side of the room, low down. I never saw a worse paper in my life, one of those sprawling, flamboyant patterns committing every artistic sin. It is dull enough to confuse the eye in following, pronounced enough to constantly irritate and provoke study, And when you follow the lame, uncertain curves for a little distance, they suddenly commit suicide, plunge off at outrageous angles, destroy themselves in unheard-of contradictions. The color is repellent, almost revolting, a smoldering, unclean yellow, strangely faded by the sunlight. It is a lurid orange in some places, a sickly sulfur tint in others. I imagine the children hated it, I should hate it myself if I had to live in this room long. But we are only here for a few months, so I believe I can manage. We have been living in this house two weeks now. I spend my time sitting by the window up in this atrocious nursery. John is away most days and even some nights when his cases are serious. I'll leave your breakfast here on the table, miss. I do wish you'd try to eat at least a little bit. I am glad my case is not serious, but these nervous troubles are dreadfully depressing. John does not know how much I really suffer. He knows there is no reason to suffer, and that satisfies him. Nobody would believe what an effort it is to do what little I am able. To dress, to walk round the garden, to order things. It is fortunate Jenny is so good with the baby— Such a dear baby, and yet I cannot be with him. It makes me so nervous. I suppose John was never nervous in his life. He laughs at me so about this wallpaper. Why, my dear, you're simply letting it get the better of you. Listen to me now, you mustn't think of it. Nothing is worse for a nervous patient than to give way to such fancies. Why, if we changed the wallpaper, next it would be the heavy bedstead, and then the barred windows, and then that gate at the head of the stairs. 
You know the place is doing you good. And really, dear, I don't care to renovate the house just for a three months' rental. Then do let us go downstairs, John. There are such pretty rooms there. Why, why, my blessed little goose, we will go all the way down to the cellar if that is what you wish. <laughs> But he is right, of course. It is as airy and comfortable a room as anyone might wish for, and I would not be so silly as to put him out just for a whim. I'm really getting quite fond of the big room. All but that horrid paper. I wish I could get well faster. But I must not think about that. This paper looks to me as if it knows what a vicious influence it has. There is a recurrent spot where the pattern lulls like a broken neck, and two bulbous eyes stare at you upside down. I get positively angry with the impertinence of it and the everlastingness. Up and down and sideways they crawl, and those absurd, unblinking eyes are everywhere. There is one place where the two breadths didn't match, and the eyes go all up and down the line, one a little higher than the other. The wallpaper, as I said before, is torn off in spots. Then the floor is scratched and gouged and splintered, and the plaster itself is dug out here and there. But I don't mind it a bit. Only the paper. It has a kind of sub pattern in a different shade, a particularly irritating one, for you can only see it in certain lights and not clearly then. But in the places where it isn't faded, and where the sun is just so, skulking about behind that silly and conspicuous front design, I can see a strange, provoking, formless sort of figure. I stare and stare at it, but I cannot make it come into focus. I wonder what it might be. Goodbye. It's so lovely to see you. Take care. Well, the 4th of July is over. The people are all gone, and I am tired out. John thought it might do me good to see a little company, so we just had Mother and Nellie and the children down for a week. Of course, I didn't do a thing. Jenny sees to everything now, but it tired me all the same. I don't feel as if it is worthwhile to turn my hand over for anything, and I'm getting dreadfully fretful and querulous. I cry at nothing and cry most of the time. Of course, I don't cry when John is here or anybody else, but when I'm alone. And I'm alone a good deal just now. John is kept in town very often by serious cases, and Jenny is good and lets me alone when I want her to. So I walk a little in the garden or down that lovely lane, sit on the porch under the roses, and lie down in this room a good deal. I'm getting really fond of the room in spite of the wallpaper. Perhaps because of the wallpaper, it dwells in my mind so. I lie here in this great immovable bed, it is nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern about by the hour. I start, we'll say, at the bottom, down in the corner over there, where it has not been touched, and I determine for the thousandth time that I will follow that pointless pattern to some sort of a conclusion. I know a little of the principle of design, and I know this thing was not arranged on any laws of radiation or alternation or repetition or symmetry or anything else I have ever heard of. It is repeated, of course, by the breadths, but not otherwise. There is one end of the room where it is almost intact, and there, when the cross lights fade and the low sun shines directly upon it, I can almost fancy radiation after all. 
The interminable grotesques seem to form around a common center and rush off in headlong plunges of equal distraction. It makes me tired to follow it. I will take a nap, I guess. I don't know why I should dwell on this. I don't want to. I don't feel able. And I know John would think it absurd. But I must say what I feel and think in some way. It is such a relief. John says I mustn't lose my strength and has me take cod liver oil and lots of tonics and things, to say nothing of ale and wine and rare meat. There's one comfort. The baby is well and happy and does not have to occupy this nursery with the horrid wallpaper. If we had not used it, that blessed child would have. What a fortunate escape. Why, I wouldn't have a child of mine, an impressionable little thing, live in such a room for worlds. I never thought of it before, but it is lucky that John kept me here after all. I can stand it so much easier than a baby, you see. Of course, I never mention it to them anymore. I am too wise. But I keep watch of it all the same. There are things in that paper that nobody knows but me, or ever will. Behind that outside pattern, the dim shapes get clearer every day. It is always the same shape, only very numerous, and it is like a woman stooping down and creeping about behind that pattern. Now and then, the faint figure seems to shake the pattern, just as if she wanted to get out. I don't like it a bit. I wonder, I begin to think, oh, I wish John would take me away from here. It is so hard to talk with John about my case because he is so wise and because he loves me so, but I tried it last night. What? Why, what is it, little girl? What are you doing out of bed? And why are you staring at the wall like that? You mustn't go walking about too much. You'll get cold. John? John, I really am not gaining here. I wish you would take me away. Why, darling, our lease will be up in three weeks, and I can't see how to leave before. The repairs are not done at home, and I, I can't possibly leave town just now. Of course, if you were in any danger, I could and would, but you really are better, dear, whether you can see it or not. I am a doctor, dear, and I know you are gaining flesh and color. Your appetite is better. I feel much easier about you. I don't weigh a bit more, nor as much. My appetite may be better in the evening when you are here, but it is worse in the morning when you are away. Well, bless her little heart. She shall be as sick as she pleases. But now let's improve the shining hours by going to sleep and talk about it in the morning. So you won't go away? Why, how can I, dear? It is only three weeks more, and then we will take a nice little trip of a few days while Jenny is getting the house ready. Really, dear, you are better. Better in body, perhaps. My darling, I beg of you, for my sake and for our child's sake, as well as for your own, that you will never for one instant let that idea enter your mind. There is nothing so dangerous, so fascinating to a temperament like yours. It is a false and destructive fancy. Can you not trust me as a physician when I tell you so? He is always talking like that. So, of course, I said no more, and we went to sleep before long. 
He thought I was asleep first, but I wasn't. I lay there for hours trying to decide whether the front pattern and the back pattern really did move together or whether the sections moved separately from one another. On a pattern like this, by daylight, there is a lack of sequence, a defiance of law that is a constant irritant to a normal mind. The color is hideous enough and unreliable enough and infuriating enough, but the pattern is torturing. You think you have mastered it, but just as you get well underway in following, it turns a back somersault and there you are. It slaps you in the face, knocks you down, and tramples upon you. It's like a bad dream. The outside pattern is a florid arabesque reminding one of a fungus. If you can imagine a toadstool in joints, an interminable string of toadstools budding and sprouting in endless convolutions, why, it is something like that. That is, sometimes. There is one marked peculiarity about this paper, a thing nobody seems to notice but myself, and that is that it changes as the light changes, That is why I watch it always. At night, in any kind of light, in twilight, candlelight, lamplight, and worst of all, by moonlight, it becomes bars. The outside pattern, I mean. And the woman behind it is plain as can be. I didn't realize for a long time what the thing was that showed behind that dim sub-pattern. But now I am quite sure it is a woman. By daylight, she is subdued, quiet. I fancy it is the pattern that keeps her so still. I lie down ever so much now. John says it is good for me and to sleep all I can. But it is a very bad habit, I am convinced, for you see, whenever I lie down, I can't sleep. The fact is, I'm getting a little afraid of John. He seems very queer sometimes. Even Jenny has an inexplicable look. It strikes me occasionally, just as a scientific hypothesis, that perhaps it is the paper. I have watched John when he did not know I was looking, and come into the room suddenly on the most innocent excuses, and I've caught him several times looking at the paper. And Jenny, too. I caught Jenny with her hand on it once. She didn't know I was in the room, and when she saw me, she turned around as if she'd been caught stealing and looked quite angry. (gasps) Miss! Why should you frighten me so? Jenny, what are you doing with the wallpaper? I'm just... Miss, this paper stains everything it touches. I found yellow smooches on all your clothes and on Mr. John's, too. I just wish you would be more careful. We will try, Jenny. I would like to be left alone now. Uh, uh, of, Of course, miss. Did not that sound innocent? But I know she was studying that pattern, and I am determined that nobody shall find it out but myself. Life is very much more exciting now than it used to be. You see, I have something more to expect, to look forward to, to watch. I really do eat better, and am quieter than I was. John is so pleased to see me improve. He said I seemed to be flourishing in spite of my wallpaper. (laughs) I laughed. I had no intention of telling him it was because of the wallpaper. He would make fun of me. He might even want to take me away. 
I don't want to leave now until I have found it out. There is a week more. I think that will be enough. I'm feeling ever so much better. I don't sleep much at night, for it is so interesting to watch developments, but I sleep a good deal in the daytime. In the daytime, it is tiresome and perplexing. There are always new shoots on the fungus and new shades of yellow all over it. I cannot keep count of them, though I've tried. It is the strangest yellow, that wallpaper. It makes me think of all the yellow things I ever saw. Not beautiful things like buttercups, but old, foul, bad yellow things. But there is something else about that paper. The smell. I noticed it the moment we came into the room, but with so much air and sun, it was not bad. Now we have had a week of fog and rain, and whether the windows are open or not, the smell is here. It creeps all over the house. I find it hovering in the dining room, skulking in the parlor, hiding in the hall, lying in wait for me on the stairs. It gets into my hair. Even when I go for a ride, if I turn my head suddenly and surprise it, there is that smell. Such a peculiar odor, too. I have spent hours trying to analyze it, to think of what it smelled like. In this damp weather, it is awful. I wake up in the night and find it hanging over me. It used to disturb me. I thought seriously of burning the house to get rid of it, but now I am used to it. The only thing I can think of that it is like is the color of the paper, a yellow smell. There is a very funny mark on this wall, a little lower than my shoulder, a streak that runs round the room. It goes behind every piece of furniture except the bed, a long, straight, even smooch as if it had been rubbed over and over. I wonder how it was done and who did it and what they did it for. Round and round and round... Round and round and round, it makes me dizzy. I really have discovered something at last. Through watching so much at night when it changes so, I have finally found out. The front pattern does move, and no wonder. The woman behind shakes it. Sometimes I think there are a great many women behind, and sometimes only one. And she crawls around fast, and her crawling shakes it all over. Then in the very bright spot, she keeps still. And in the very shady spot, she just takes hold of the bars and shakes them hard. And she is all the time trying to climb through. But nobody could climb through that pattern of strangles, so... I think that is why it has so many heads. The women get through... And then the pattern strangles them off and turns them upside down and makes their eyes white. I think that woman gets out in the daytime. And I'll tell you why. Privately, I've seen her. I can see her out every one of my windows. It is the same woman I know, for she is always creeping. And most women do not creep by daylight. I see her on the road under the trees, creeping along, and when a carriage comes, she hides under the blackberry vines. I don't blame her a bit. It must be very humiliating to be caught creeping by daylight. I always lock the door when I creep by daylight. I can't do it at night, for I know John would suspect something at once. John is so queer now. I don't want to irritate him. I wish he would take another room. 
Besides, I don't want anybody to get that woman out at night but myself. I often wonder if I could see her out of all the windows at once, but turn as fast as I can, I can only see out of one at a time. And though I always see her, she may be able to creep faster than I can turn. And in the daytime when I am gone, what does she do then? Mostly she sleeps during the day, sir, or stares out the window. If only that top pattern could be gotten off from the under one. I mean to try it little by little. I have found out another funny thing, but I shan't tell it this time. It does not do to trust people too much. There are only two days to get this paper off, and I believe John is beginning to notice. I don't like the look in his eyes, and I heard him ask Jenny a lot of professional questions about me. She told him I slept a good deal in the daytime. He asked me all sorts of questions, too, and pretended to be very loving and kind, as if I couldn't see through him. Still, I don't wonder he acts so, sleeping under this paper for three months. It only interests me, but I feel sure John and Jenny are secretly affected by it. Hurrah, this is the last day, but it is enough. John is to stay in town overnight and won't be back until this evening. Jenny asked if I would be all right alone. <laughs> that was clever. For really, I wasn't alone one bit. As soon as it was moonlight and that poor thing began to crawl and shake the pattern, I got up and ran to help her. I pulled and she shook, I shook and she pulled, and before morning we had peeled off yards of that paper. A strip about as high as my head and half around the room. And then, when the sun came and that awful pattern began to laugh at me, I declared that I would finish it today. We go away tomorrow, and they are moving all my furniture down again to leave things as they were before. Jenny looked at the wall in amazement, but I told her merrily that I did it out of pure spite at the vicious thing. <laughs> Well, well, to tell the truth, miss, I, I wouldn't mind doing it myself. It's a horrible paper. Still, you must not make yourself too tired. How she betrayed herself that time. But I am here, and no person touches this paper but me. Now Jenny is gone. And the servants are gone, and the things are gone, and there is nothing left but that great bedstead nailed down with the canvas mattress we found on it. We shall sleep downstairs tonight and take the boat home tomorrow. I quite enjoy the room now that it is bare again, how those children did tear about here. This bedstead is fairly gnawed, but I must get to work. I have locked the door and thrown the key down into the front path. I don't want to go out, and I don't want to have anybody come in. Not until John comes. I want to astonish him. I've got a rope up here that even Jenny did not find. If that woman does get out and tries to get away, I can tie her. But I cannot reach very far without anything to stand on, and the bed will not move. I tried to lift and push it until I was lame, and then I got so angry I bit off a little piece at one corner, but it hurt my teeth. Then I peeled off all the paper I could reach standing on the floor. It sticks horribly, and the pattern just enjoys it. 
All those strangled heads and bulbous eyes and waddling fungus growths just shriek with derision. I'm getting angry enough to do something desperate. To jump out of the window would be admirable exercise, but the bars are too strong even to try. Besides, I wouldn't do it. Of course not. I know well enough that a step like that is improper and might be misconstrued. I don't even like to look out of the windows. There are so many of those creeping women, and they creep so fast. I wonder if they all come out of that wallpaper as I did. But I am securely fastened now by my well-hidden rope. You don't get me out in the road there. I suppose I shall have to get back behind the pattern when it comes night, and that is hard. It is so pleasant to be out in this great room and creep around as I please. I don't want to go outside. I won't. Even if Jenny asks me to. For outside you have to creep on the ground, and everything is green instead of yellow. But here I can creep smoothly on the floor, and my shoulder just fits in that long smooch around the wall, so I cannot lose my way. Darling? Darling, open this door. Why, there's John at the door. Darling, what are you doing? Open this door. It's no use, young man. You can't open it. An axe. An axe. Jenny, bring me the axe from the yard. How he does call and pound. It would be a shame to break down that beautiful door. John, dear, the key is down by the front steps under a plantain leaf. Open the door, my darling. I can't. The key is down by the front steps under a plantain leaf. Jenny? Jenny, she says the key is outside by the front steps. Down by the front steps under a plantain leaf. Under a leaf. She says it is by the front door under a leaf. I found it. I found it, sir. Give it to me then, quickly. Darling, what is the matter? For God's sake, what are you doing? I've got out at last, in spite of you and Jane, and I've pulled off most of the paper so you can't put me back. (laughs) Now why should that man have fainted? But he did, and right across my path by the wall so that I had to creep over him every time. You have been listening to Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, featuring Jane Kilgore as the narrator, Robert Arnold as John, and Catherine Whitfield as Jenny. Music written and performed by Jeremy Howard. Sound effects by Catherine Whitfield. Dramaturgy by Rebecca Bates. Produced by Andrew Sullivan. Adapted and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org.